Well, it is good to be back with you again today. Well, for me it is, I'm not sure about yourselves, but uh, hopefully you've come expectant that God will speak to our hearts and our minds together today. If you weren't here last week, we started a little mini-series on the book of Ruth. Uh, as a way of looking at how God transitions people from an old normal to a new normal. And I hope that in that sense, the book of Ruth becomes very relevant to our own situation. We looked last week at the first part of chapter one, uh, the very complicated situation that Ruth found herself in. Complicated times, uh, the days of the judges, complicated circumstances, there's a famine in the land, and then uh, complicated choices as the options that opened up to her and her sister-in-law, Oprah, were far from easy choices to make. And I want to read uh, this morning from the next verse, verse 16 of chapter 1 through to the end of that chapter. It's a short passage. Um, we're looking at uh, Ruth today under the heading of I'm committed. Last week it's, it's complicated. Today I'm committed. Let's hear God's word of verse 16 of Ruth 1. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to return back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So read God's word. We look to him to address our hearts through it this morning. I don't know if you've ever been out on uh, the country roads and you are a little bit unsure where you're going and you come to a crossroads and you have to turn either right or left and you haven't a clue, there's no signposts and you haven't a clue which way you ought to go to your final destination. And you have to make one of those educated guesses and you get a kind of inner feeling, an inner sense of space and where you are and so you need to go right. It's a wrong decision, and you should have gone left. Coming to crossroads in life, 
It's how I see Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi in this section of chapter one. And it's the little picture I want to take as our guideline through our thoughts this morning. Ruth, uh, who will say at the end of the day, I'm committed, but who starts off in this section at the crossroads of life. Every complicated situation in life, and in the Christian life especially, faces us with options. God doesn't take us up cul-de-sacs. He brings us to crossroads. If you want that in New Testament language, no temptation has ever taken you, but such as is common with men, and God will make a way of escape. There's never a situation where you have to sin or make a, a silly, stupid choice as though there was no option. God always brings us to the crossroads for us to make choices. First setting it very simply is at the crossroads, it was decision time. Life was complicated for Ruth and for Oprah, as we saw last Sunday. But Ruth had options, and so did Oprah. And she's reached that point now as they've traveled a, a bit of the journey towards Bethlehem, Oprah, Ruth, and Naomi. They've come to a place now where Ruth stops and Oprah stops and Naomi says to them, it's time to make your decision now. And Ruth had to make a very definite choice about herself and her life at that moment in time. All sorts of complications, whichever choice she made, we said last week, going back to her home or her mother's home and back to her gods of the past and her old way of life had complications. And going forward into unknown territory as a Moabite destined to Israel was complicated. But now has come the time where under God... Instead of moaning and complaining to Naomi, it's all your fault, you shouldn't have done this to begin with. Instead, under God, she's been brought to a place where she'll either go forward or backwards, either to the old normal, to her family and gods in Moab, or into a new normal of God's planning for her and her ultimate destiny. She has to make a definite choice to go one way or another. She can't set up camp at this crossroads and live there for the rest of her days. There's a definite choice and she has to make it. But also she has to make it herself. It's a very personal matter. The choice between the old normal and the new normal, the old gods and the new god, the old home or the new home, the old land or the new land, the old family or the new family. It is ultimately a choice about, will I follow Jehovah, the God who's revealed himself to Israel? Will I follow him as my God and as my king? And Naomi cannot make that decision for her. Nobody else can make that decision for her. It's her own personal decisive moment in life. When you think about it, it's a lovely story insofar as at that crossroads, Ruth and Oprah 
sharing similar complicated lives, faced with identical options, backwards or forwards, old or new, actually make polar opposite choices in verse 5, or in verse 15. And Orpah decides to go back to her family and to her gods. Ruth has to make her own personal decision. I think that is set out forth beautifully in Scripture to remind us that these big decisions, big choices in life, are not only moments for decisive choice by us, but personal choice by us. As we suggested last week, these are days, um, a, a moment in history for not just you and me, but for all of God's people, I think, throughout the world, and indeed for the world itself, faced with the complexities of pandemic and lockdown and all we've had to endure and adjust to over the past months, a moment that requires us to make some decisions. In a sense, I believe that we should look back, and I trust will do in history, that this couple of years, however awful and however painful it was for us, was actually a decisive time that God brought us to crossroads of different sorts in our lives to move us on in our walk with him. It's been fantastic over these past while to uh, find uh, countless numbers of people who didn't have any church background, any interest in Christ or the gospel, who started following God as Savior. And I could tell you for the rest of the morning, I could keep you here just telling you stories of people that I know personally, who during lockdown, during the pandemic, during the fears and apprehensions and uncertainties, during the changes that were forced upon them by circumstances, came to a decisive moment in their lives when they knew they had to choose, will I follow God as my God and my King for the rest of my life? Or will I just go back to the old ways and stick in that rut I was in? Maybe you're one of those who've made the decision already. You've come to that crossroads and you felt God saying, I brought you here through all these painful circumstances so you can decide, am I going to follow God and be committed to him? Am I going to love Christ as my savior and embrace the gospel or am I turning my back on it all? Maybe you made that decision and already coming to that place of following Christ and being committed to him. Or maybe that's right where you are at this moment in time. You may not have said anything to folks at home or friends or colleagues, but in your heart and mind, you've had that overbearing sense that God is at work in your life and circumstances, and you come to church today, and there's that sense, this is my personal crossroads in life. I can either go with God or gin him. I can either embrace a new life and a new creation in Christ Jesus, or I can consign myself to just going back into the way of life, focused on myself, focused on the past, back to my old gods, whatever they were. And if you're at that crossroads right now at this moment in time, I'm not here to put pressure on you. I'm here to say, make it 
personal and decisive today. Don't do it for your family's sake. Don't make a decision to follow Christ because it's culturally acceptable at the moment. Or you just feel swept along by the emotion of what's going on in life. But if God is dealing with your heart and mind and saying, I want you to have me as your God and your king, the God whom you'll worship and the king whom you'll serve, choose you today whom you will serve. Make that decision definite and personal. Because making such decisions at the moment is not just about those who've never followed Christ deciding to follow him for the very first time. Although that is momentous and it's a marvelous thing when it happens, isn't it? But that's not just the only decision or the only crossroads being faced by us here today. Every believer is also at a crossroads time in life as well. Decisions about your personal life and decisions about our life as churches are being made just now. And I guess for most of us, there's a kind of tearing apart. There's part of us is hankering after the old normal, the way we always did things, when we did them, how we did them. Oh, it's so comfortable to be in the rut. We know where we are. Or do we believe that in the providence of God, the great sovereign God, he's brought something or allowed something to happen in our world and in our church life and in our personal lives where he's saying to us, I want you to embrace following me into new things, new ways of doing things. And that might be the choices that many of us are at today. Some make you smile, actually. I had to smile um, when I heard what Great Victoria Street was doing uh, when the, mar the half marathon was running around the streets of the centre of Belfast. When I first went to Great Victoria Street, um, there was no Sunday opening in the shops. Uh, city centre was dead quiet. You could come and park anywhere you liked, no restrictions, and getting to church was easy. And then it started to open uh, shops on Sunday, and this was a huge burden and trouble for many of our folks. <gasps> we're going to lose our car, what, not the Sabbath issue, but we're going to lose our car parking spaces on Sunday morning. Where will we park? But actually, that didn't turn out to be so big an issue at all. But then after a while, it started marathons and half marathons and bicycle races and uh, band parades on, on Sundays all around the church area. It became a real complex issue for many members. Again, not the morality of it, just the practicality. How do we get to church on Sunday? How do we get a place to park when all the roads coming up to Great Victoria Street are closed? We worked it. But it's always uncomfortable and difficult. So what does Great Victoria Street do uh, this month when the half marathon is announced for the streets around the church at church opening time? They decided to go online. What they've been doing during the pandemic and the shutdowns and the lockdowns. It's not perfect, but it discovers a better perfect than trying to find car parking spaces and folks going home because their car parking space was taken. 
They had adapted from what had been the old, only way of doing things. The discover here was very simple, but practical and glorious opportunity to go online. And that, of course, is reflected not just in that church and how they do things, but it's actually one of the challenges that faces us at the moment in terms of our evangelistic work. Those of us of my generation, evangelism was done in church life once a year during a three-week mission. And if things went well, you extended three weeks to six weeks. Um, and that's where you reach the community. Things have changed a bit. One of the glorious things about lockdown and churches going online and Zooming service and all the rest are the numbers of people without any church connection who found that they can twiddle knobs and do sliders on their smartphones and lock into a service in a church and listen in to what's going on and the quietness and calmness of their own home or car or sitting out on the beach can tune in to hear what God is saying to them in that service. And again, I've lost track of the number of people I've heard of who've come to faith in that way. Not by coming into a church building or into a mission, but using that facility that our churches have developed during the complicated time of pandemic. I was actually chatting to the grandchildren last Sunday and we were talking about this very issue and they were talking about doing school at home during the pandemic and the lockdowns and uh, their aunt said to them, you know, it's good because if you're listening to your French teacher and your French teacher talks too fast in French, you can actually go onto your smartphone or whatever and you can slow it down and you can listen to them at three quarters of the pace and you can hear everything they're saying. And of course, in terms of evangelism, that's brilliant too. It means if someone doesn't quite get the accent of the weird speaker who's preaching today, they can slow it down and listen more carefully. Or if there's something that's said and they want to think about it, they can actually press the pause button. My granddaughter said, yeah, she said it's brilliant. It says, and she named a certain teacher in her school, we fast forward at two and a half times speed. <laughs> we don't have to listen to them any longer. And I guess that that's part of the challenge as well. Maybe folks will fast forward right now and hear the next song as quickly as possible. You have to listen through the whole lot. You can see what we're saying, that God does things in life, not just individually for one or two of us, but across the board, saying to his church, here are challenging times for you. What kind of decision are you going to make? Are you just going to say, we liked it the way it was, please can we stay there forever and ever? Or are we going to say as churches and individuals, God, what as king are you leading us into for the future? Because as king, he knows what's best. Well, that's her at the crossroads decision time. Second heading for you this morning is at the crossroads, a reality check. Now, I didn't deal with uh, verse 13 last week, um, nor in detail yet with verse 20 um, of this chapter. 
but there's Naomi. Not only she brought her daughters-in-law to this crossroads to make a decision, but there and then she kind of gives them a reality check. They are difficult words to handle. If you have access to lots and lots of different versions online uh, with Bible Gateway or online Bible, something like that, well worthwhile seeing how the different translators have tried to handle what are complex words. The NIV puts verse 13. It is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. That's Naomi facing Ruth, who's thinking about going to make Jehovah her God and her king. And she's saying, the Lord's hand turned against me. In verse 20, when they get back, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The New Living Translation says, the Lord has raised his fist against me. And whatever translation you look at, you'll find it's quite strong language that Naomi uses. There are three broad ways of interpreting her uh, and her words. First is that she's just using kind of figurative language to say, well, God has allowed bad stuff into my life. The second way of interpreting is saying that she's saying, well, God perfectly justly has meted out the punishment for what me and my family did in the past. Third possibility is she's very brashly blaming God for randomly and without purpose doing all the bad things that happened to her in recent days. I'm not going to give you the pluses and minuses of each of those. Was it just a figure of speech? Does it just sound strong? But it wasn't really that bad. Was it quite strong? But she's saying God has acted justly, even though it's tough going. Or is she actually saying God has been a bit unfair to me? I went out from Bethlehem full, but I've come back empty-handed, and God's to blame. What I felt as I read those words again and again this week was that bottom line for us is it doesn't matter which of those you want to opt for. Each of them becomes a reality check for Ruth at that point of decision for her life. In a way, it's Ruth being faced with the fact that committing to follow God is not committing to a pleasant, easy, bed of roses life. Making God God and king of your life doesn't mean that ever afterwards all your problems are gone forever. Doesn't mean to say that life becomes rosy and pleasant. Doesn't mean to say that now you're on the high road to uh, comfort and wealth and health and popularity. Whatever way Naomi's thinking, what she's done is set before Ruth a challenge that as you make your decision about the future, recognize that God isn't promising you everything to be hunky-dory. We need to have that reality check, don't we? 
There was no one in the world ever more keen that people would follow Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives than Jesus himself. But you know what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus wants people to follow him and acknowledge him as King and Lord of their lives. But he gives them little illustrations that say, you need a reality check here. What a man who starts to build a great tower and he hasn't sat down and counted the costs first and then he's the laughing stock. Or the man who goes to fight a battle and he hasn't counted up the troops and his resources and personnel and he's made a laughing stock. You need to count the cost before coming to Christ. And that goes through the whole of the gospel message. It's right to have God as your God and Christ as your king. It's good to know the joy of forgiveness. Brilliant to know your debt has been paid. Wonderful to know that your life is hid with God in Christ. Exciting to know that all of eternity you'll spend your time with him in glory. But the path of discipleship is costly and difficult. And the decision to follow him needs to be a decision made after the reality check. Now that's true in terms of folks coming to faith in Christ. And I want to suggest today to our hearts that as those who are Christians facing the possibility of change in the future, transitioning to what God has in store for us, doesn't mean to say that everything's going to be brilliantly easy now. And I think it's probably a little bit of us, inside of us, if we're honest, says, can't wait till this pandemic's over and masks are off and lockdowns are finished and all the restrictions are gone. We can get back to life as normal again. Won't it just be so lovely? And we forget that actually life is tough. And life is still complicated after coming through the crossroads. At the crossroads, it was decision time. At the crossroads, it was reality check time. But thirdly, this morning at the crossroads, it was a time of wholehearted commitment by Ruth herself. Verse 16 might well have been your granny's favorite text up on the wall above the fireplace for her whole life. You might have been saying for the past uh, half hour and all of last Sunday morning, when are you going to get to verse 16? Here's the real good verses now. Let's hear them. Well, let's hear them. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And those verses are often taken totally out of context, but they become a very precious illustration of what commitment to God sounds like at its best. They are beautiful words. They involve a range of commitments by Ruth at that moment in time. There's that very basic emotional commitment to Naomi. 
Ruth isn't slow to remember the kindness and help and support that she's had from her mother-in-law. Yes, I would be tempted with mother-in-law jokes, but not just now. But here's a beautiful picture, isn't it? As someone who is so appreciative of the mother-in-law, they said, I don't even want death to separate me and you. I want to be with you, Naomi, wherever you go, wherever you stay, whatever life throws up at you, I'm committed to you yourself. And it's not bad sometimes to tell folks in life that you appreciate, that you appreciate them, and you're committed to them as people in relationship. A second level of commitment involved the commitment to the people whom Naomi represented, to her land, her nation. I guess lots of you have only ever lived in Northern Ireland or only ever felt that you belong to Northern Ireland. Some of us have traveled throughout our lifetime and our allegiances and nationality, sometimes even our accent has had to adapt as we've moved around. And for some of us, that's not a big deal. It's actually quite exciting sometimes to come to a new part of the world and eat different food and have different climate and different housing and etc. etc. Sometimes that's an enormous challenge. And folks can travel into another part of the world and they always feel, you know, really, really deep down, I'm still Northern Irish. I may have lived in South America for 40 years, but I'm really, really Northern Irish still. You know, cut my veins and you'll see the orange or whatever colour blood flowing from them. I know some of the Chinese and other students who've come to Northern Ireland um, have always felt I'm still Malaysian, I'm still Chinese, I still really, really belong. I'm just here for a while so I can get back to my real home again. But there are always the others as well. It's lovely when they start coming to us from uh, India or China or wherever, and in six months they're all speaking English with a Northern Ireland accent and have picked up all the wee phrases that we have. And yeah, they've made this place home. Now, when we hear Ruth say, your people, my people, she's saying that if I follow God and have him as my God and my king, then where he leads me, I become part of that people. And so while we said last week, Ruth is constantly referred to as Ruth and Moabites throughout the rest of the book. In spirit, she becomes one of Naomi's people one of the people of Judah, one of the Israelites. Ultimately, although this is week four, um, when we get there, she becomes uh, an ancestor, the Messiah himself. Can we see what's happening? That in this commitment that Ruth makes, it's not just an emotional thing to Naomi, it's far-reaching in terms of her identity as a person and her nationality and sense of belonging. But we still haven't got to the main part. Your God, my God. 
Oprah is described as someone who goes back to her gods, plural. Ruth is clear that what she's embracing is Jehovah, the God of Israel and Judah, as her only God and King. She wasn't saying, well, I hear God's okay, so I'll take him on board and he'll become one of my gods. In the context of this chapter, she's saying, God will be my God and he'll be my king for the rest of my life. She sets off on Naomi in these last verses of chapter one, fully committed to Naomi and fully committed to God. And I want us to stop this morning and say, what does that commitment to God as God and king mean for Ruth? It's not just mental assent that God exists. I've discovered there's lots and lots of folk in this province who say, I, I believe in the man above. I believe there's, there's, there's a God. And of course, the Bible's answer to that is, well, so does the devil. And he trembles at the thought. So when Ruth says, your God, my God, she's not saying it become one of the things I worship, but the only one I worship. She's not just giving mental assent to the fact that God exists. Neither is it, neither is it just a theoretical belief that Jehovah is the only true and living God. That would be a massive step for her, if like theologically and philosophically, to say all the other gods I've ever known in Moab are all unreal gods, not the genuine thing, but, but God, Jehovah, your God, is the real God, and I accept that in my mind and add it to my philosophy of life. No, it's a commitment to serve him with all her heart and with all her life. And we can understand now why God had all this written in a book, written for the people in Israel and Judah who had messed up in terms of making God their God to worship alone and their king to serve alone. Here's God saying to his people, look, here's a Moabite with a complicated way of life, complicated circumstances, complicated time. And yet she understands that I am a God worth committing to, not just in mind, not just in theory, but in every dimension of her life. And Ruth's example, I think, is still helpful to us. At our crossroads individually today, God is checking out with us whether our commitment to him is more than just mental assent that there is a God. That it's more than theological agreement with a doctrinal statement that it's more than just church membership. He wants us as a royal nation who are committed to him as the king who leads and guides our lives.
We are people uncertain, I'm sure, about what the new normal under God the King will look like. What he's asking us to do today is say, I'm committed, Jesus, to you as my King. And whatever you have for us in the future, whatever you have for me as an individual, whatever you have for us as a church, I'm committed that you alone are the God to be worshipped in my life and the King to be served. Can I ask you to come to that crossroads just now? And honestly in your heart, respond, not to me, not to people around you, not to the pastor or the elder, to God. At that crossroads of, do we go back to old normal or to whatever God has in the new normal? Are you prepared to say, you're my king? And I'm here, Lord, to follow you. I'm here to commit to that future and to that God who is in that future. Joshua brought his people to that place. Choose you today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah took his nation to Mount Carmel. And his challenge was, if God be God, then follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. But make your choice. Decide who is your king, your lord, your master. Allow God to make you help or help you make that decision just here this morning as we close our service in prayer. We're at the crossroads. It's time for wholehearted commitment to him. A word of prayer and then we sing together. Lord, again, we are thankful for the life, the example of Ruth. We see the parallels between her crossroads and ours individually and collectively, and perhaps as a whole uh, Christian family throughout the world. And we ask that in heart and spirit, we might genuinely and honestly be able to say, as for me, I will serve the Lord. So your name would be honored and glorified and your kingdom extended. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.